Take out your Bibles, please. We are in Romans chapter 4 this morning. Romans chapter 4. If you did not bring a Bible, please grab one from a seat close by in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you after the service. Romans 4. Last week, again, we talked that we've kind of uh, taken this shift now in the letter that Paul has written to the, the churches in Rome. He had, for several weeks, we were going through the better part of the chap, first three chapters where he was talking about our sinfulness as mankind and our desperate need for a Savior. The fact that the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, and then that we all fit in that category. Our unrighteousness, our ungodliness facing the wrath of God. And how every, every part of civilization throughout history has always known that. That we have offended our creator. And has always tried to figure out, okay, how can I work? And how can I change? And how can I do things to somehow appease and please this, this creator, this God? But the true and living God in his word... And as Paul outlined for us before, tells us that that is impossible for us to somehow work our way into favor with God apart from faith. As a matter of fact, the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. We must start with faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we talked of this last week that, praise God, we receive this justification, this declaration of our righteousness, not by works, apart from works of the law, but through faith. And we talked last week, again, a little bit and touched on it. What does faith mean? What, is that, what does that look like? And I don't know about you, but I, I struggle sometimes with a concept, uh, especially when it comes to anything that has to do with handiwork. I am not a handyman. I've confessed that to you numerous times before. If I need to fix something and you simply hand me a manual, it's probably not getting fixed. <laughs> I could read it a dozen times and I will do it backwards, upside down, wrong for certain. What I love is to see somebody do it, to see an illustration. Anybody else love those YouTube videos that you could pretty much pull up anything and have, the, have them show you how to do it? It wasn't too long ago. My, one of my headlights in my truck went out, and I contacted the dealership, and they told me it was going to be like three, $400 to replace the headlight. I said, are you kidding me? To replace the headlight? And so I went to the manual. And you know what the manual said? Contact the dealership. So it basically said, you can't do this. They knew me better than I knew myself. They said, you can't do this. Well, I'm thinking, I, I'm, not, I'm not paying $400 for somebody to replace my headlight. And I believe it was Pastor Brad who told me, have you looked up on YouTube? They have a video for everything on YouTube, how to fix it. And you know what? There was a 30-second video that showed me how to change the headlight in my truck. It cost me like three bucks, you know? And so it's like, hey, there you go. I love an illustration. I like to have an example. And you know, God understands that about us. He understands our need that we need to be able to see and, and, and be able to have examples of that. God doesn't just say two or three things, tells us what to do, and said, now you figure out how to do it. You, you, we'll put it back on you now. and do this. He gives us examples. One of my favorite characters in the Bible that, again, has taught me a lot about what it means to walk a life of faith is Elijah. 
You know, and we read the stories of Elijah and we could think, my goodness, there is no way that I could attain to that. He's somehow on a totally different level than I am. But that's not what the Bible says. James tells us that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. No different. Just a man who loved God and trusted God. and, And we see the illustration as it walked out in his life. Peter tells us this in 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter, the apostles, those who went out and changed the world with the gospel message, he said, your faith is the same as mine. Your faith is is no different than mine, maybe exercised in a different manner, but it's the same faith, the same faith of the same kind as ours. Now, that's, again, one of the things that I love about the Word of God and, and love reading it and studying it and meditating on it, and I would invite any of you who have never been a part of our Wednesday night service to come out on Wednesday as we go through the Old Testament. We're going to spend a little time in the Old Testament this morning, but we do that every Wednesday, going through the Old Testament scriptures and, and understanding, okay, what are some examples that we can pull from that in our lives? Paul tells us a little bit later in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Perseverance, the encouragement of the scriptures. As we read through the scriptures, we are encouraged. Again, when we see men like Elijah, when we see women like Ruth, and we see King David, we see these examples. And we're gonna see the example of Abraham today as Paul uses him as an example, again, of the faith that he is speaking of. We, we, it tells us that we are encouraged by the scriptures as we are encouraged when we see others that walk by faith and give us that example. Well, let's look at the example that he gives us. Romans chapter four, the life of Abraham says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. He makes the point, if you have a job, and you work, you are owed a wage for that. He says this is, this is totally the opposite of that. If you're working for something, you get what is owed to you. But to the one, verse five, who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, and he quotes now Psalm 32, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. He gives us again this illustration now. Abraham, he touches on David. Speaking of, here are examples of men who understood and illustrated by their lives and what they did that again, Their righteousness, what was credited to them, was nothing that they earned. It was by faith. And again, understanding the the audience that Paul is writing to, the early Christian church made up a large part 
of Jewish people who had come to faith that Jesus is their long-awaited Messiah, along with Gentiles who were influenced greatly by these Jews who now believe in Jesus. And so the Jewishness of their background, and he addresses it right off. He doesn't go to somebody like Moses or to David as the example. He goes to Abraham. Going to Abraham all the way back to the beginning. An interesting fact right off the bat about, about Abraham is the father of that faith was not Jewish. Why? Because Jews didn't exist. <laughs> Abraham, Abraham was the one God called. He called him as a Gentile. He called him out of a family of idol worshipers, of, out of pagans. Why Abraham? Well, every time I ask a question like that, I think, why in the world would God choose Abraham? Why in the world would God choose that person? I have to turn that immediately to me and say, why in the world would God choose me? And then just say, praise the Lord that he did, and praise the Lord that he chose Abraham, and that we have this example before us today. And so we see now the father of the Jewish people, our father as well by faith, as it will tell us in verse 16, as we all understand from that children's nursery rhyme, we're all children of Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons, right? Many sons had, remember? Right arm, left arm, right? You're gonna be singing it later. It tells us though, when we look at Abraham, it tells, bringing it right out to this, was Abraham justified by works? Did God choose him and then bless him because of what he did? He said if he did, he could boast before God, but he calls it out right away. He says, absolutely not. That's not what it says. And then, guys, a question if you if, that you gotta take away from this today, one of the most important questions that we could ever ask in any situation in our life, look at verse three. If you are a highlighter, an underliner, a circler in your Bible, do all three to this. What does the scripture say? Guys, whatever we face in our life, that should be the first question we ask. What does God's word say? What does God's word say about what I'm going through? Through prayer and studying God's word regularly, guys, that is where we find, this isn't just some ancient book. This is the living word of God. And as we trust it as the living word of God and we go to it, what does the Bible say? What does the scripture say? We should be going to that for everything. How, how do you deal with the boss or the, your coworker at work and the different situations you're facing there? What does the scripture say? It's in here how you were to act there. When you're students, guys, when you go back to school here in another, in another couple of weeks, few weeks, I, sorry, you still got a little time left. But when you go back to school, how are you gonna deal with these students? How are you gonna do this? How, what about this teacher? What about that class? Guys, the word of God, what does the word of God say? How, do we, how are we to act? What are we to do? How do we face these impossible situations seemingly in our lives? What does the word of God say? What does scripture say? And that's where Paul goes with this question that we have before us. What about Abraham? Well, what does it say? Genesis 15, 6, he quotes, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. Abraham believed in God. Abraham didn't necessarily even, when we look at this, believe the promise. He believed the promisor. He said, 
this is, this is God Almighty speaking to me. He's the one who is telling me this. He's the one who's making this promise to me. So I believe it because of him. Not because of the promise, but because of the promiser. He wasn't believing in himself. He wasn't believing. It says he believed in God. Despite the obvious natural difficulties that surrounded the promise, or the promises, plural, that we're going to look at together here in a moment. Guys, if we truly believe in God, who he is, that he is holy, that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, that he is the beginning and the end, that he loves us, that he cannot make a mistake, that he never changes, if we truly believe in him, we will believe him. And if we truly believe him, guys, we're going to do what he says, we're going to follow his word and we're going to do those things. That's what it means to walk by faith. And when we do, just as it tells us here with Abraham, faith credited as righteousness. That word credited that is used there, the Greek word is used 11 times in chapter 4 that we're going to look at today. 11 times. That's a quarter of the times it's used in the entire New Testament. But it's an important one to understand. Credited, placed onto an account. Not again because of anything that we've earned, but by faith, grace that is extended. Well, let's look at the life of, of Abraham, just kind of do a survey of it and the promises that God made in his response. Keep your finger here in, in Romans 4, but turn with me back to Genesis chapter 12, where we're first introduced to the promise of God to Abraham, or Abram as he is for these first couple of chapters we're going to look at before God changes his name to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Verse 4, so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. God said, I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave all of your security. I want, to leave, want you to leave your family. And he didn't say, this is where you're going. He says, I want you to go where I'll show you. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call the hall of faith. And we're going to reference that quite a bit. I encourage you just as a little homework to read the entire story of Abraham. Read Hebrews 11 this week, the hall of faith. But, but we see this. The author says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, note, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. God didn't say to Abraham, hey, Abraham, I want you to uproot from Phoenix and take all of your stuff, move away from your family, and I want you to go to San Diego. He didn't say that. 
This is before Google Earth, before he could have said, okay, this is where you're going, and you could zoom in, and you could kind of see what everything's going on. You couldn't Google what the weather's like and all this other kind of stuff. He had no idea. He just simply stepped out in faith because he believed the promiser. He, the, the, this, the, this blessing that he said, I will bless those who bless you, I will, and I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. I will be with you. And he stepped out again in faith, simply trusting, believing in God. Now, look ahead now to chapter 13, Genesis, verse 14. God again states the promise to Abram. Now, when the sun, I'm sorry, one too many pages. Verse 14, chapter 13, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise. Walk about the land through its length and its breadth, for I will give it to you. Note verse 18. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. His initial step of obedience as he moves out then, and then as he settles in there, he's blessed. He gets, as a matter of fact, he gets, he's so blessed. He and Lot, they have so many possessions between the two of them. They said, we're going to have to separate. Lot goes one direction. Then God says to him here, look all around you. All of this is yours. And then he says, now get up and move. Move somewhere else. Things are going really great right here. I was obedient. Things are great. But now you want me to move again. And he does. He's obedient when God calls him to move. Now, chapter 15. Again, God, again, reminding him, reiterating the promises. Verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look towards the heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Verse six, here's our verse. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. He believed in the Lord. He believed, since you're the one making this promise, I believe in you. So I embrace the promise that you're making. And it says, he, God, reckoned it to him as righteousness. Verse seven, then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Jump forward again now a couple more chapters to chapter 17. And it tells us there, now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. He's 99 years old. Isaac has not been born yet. And he says, I will multiply you exceedingly. 
Abram fell on his face. God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Again, Isaac has not been born yet. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. He's 99 years old. And I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. I will multiply you exceedingly. I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. He's 99. Maybe his wife is like really young. Well, I guess comparatively speaking, she's only 90. Possible? I mean, just looking around, looking at the natural thing, I mean, there's, there's no way. No way. But again, so we don't look at the promise, we look at the promiser. We look at the one who is making the promise. And we see that, again, Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, it tells us in verse 11, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. Notice, since she considered him faithful who had promised. It's not the promise, again, considered him faithful, the one who promised. And because of that, notice the next word, therefore, because she considered him faithful, therefore, there was born even of one man and him, and you gotta love this, as good as dead, <laughs> as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Again, guys, walking by faith. It's not blind faith. It's believing in the promiser. It's believing in almighty God, the one who spoke everything into existence, created everything out of nothing. Believing and trusting in the one who is always faithful. It's impossible for God to be unfaithful. It's impossible for God to say something and not do it. It's impossible. So to, to consider him faithful and placing your faith and your trust in him, that is what we see laid out as this picture of faith as they walk forward. And that faith, again, faith in him, credited as righteousness. Again, to underscore the point now back in Romans Chapter four, he takes a little brief jump over to look at David and then we'll come back to Abraham in just a moment. In verse six, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the man to whom God, notice again, there's that word credits righteousness, but note, important, apart from works. Not again, now we're talking about David, it doesn't change when we get to King David. It's not like somehow he earned it. 
Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin, sin the Lord will not take into account. Blessed. Again, not because it's earned. You might be blessed to have a job, but if you have a job and you work, you're not blessed to receive a paycheck. That's what you're owed. Blessed, he speaks of this blessing because it's by grace. It is a gift that is given. Well, back to Abraham, and again, underscoring some more. He just keeps coming at it this from different angles to bring about the same point. Verse 9, is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. We touched on this a little bit in chapter 2, how the, the Jewish people took great pride in this ritual and somehow they were set aside because cho God's chosen people, this ritual. But the fact that the, the ritual is meaningless, an external ritual, meaningless without the internal reality of it. And, and that's what Paul is, or, or Paul is making this point here as he's talking about Abraham. This whole idea of circumcision had nothing to do with it. As a matter of fact, the verse 15, verse 6 that we looked at in Genesis happened 15 years before circumcision was even instituted with Abraham. So it's not that circumcision completed the transaction. It had nothing to do with it. Circumcision, as we, we see as we keep on reading verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, notice, which he had. Not that he received, which he had already while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. The righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but those who follow in the steps of faith of our father Abraham, notice here it is again, which he had while uncircumcised. Circumcision isn't the period at the end of the sentence. And we bring that again today as Christians, baptism, same, same thing with that. Circumcision doesn't complete the transaction. Baptism doesn't complete the transaction. He uses the word seal here. That's a good way of, of, of what it is. It's the proof of identity. I am identifying myself with the promise that God made, and the Jews did that through circumcision, and again, Christians, we do that through baptism. It's not part of our salvation. It is saying, I identify with my risen Lord and Savior. I identify with his death, burial, and resurrection on my behalf. I place my full faith and trust in him. That is why I am baptized. Paul says, again, it has nothing to do with it. It happened 15 years later after he'd already been declared righteous. Again, to underscore the point even greater, verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It doesn't come through the law either because Abraham was declared righteous by faith 650 years before the law was given to Moses. It's not through the law, it's not through ritual, it is through faith and faith alone. For those, verse, verse 14, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void by the promise, for, and the promise is nullified. 
For the law brings about wrath, which we discussed back in chapter three, verse 20, the knowledge of sin, the law brings knowledge of sin, and again, therefore we understand we are ungodly, unrighteous, the wrath of God. But where there is no law, there is also no violation. And now again, verse 16, for this reason, here's the, here's the reason why this is so important. For this reason, it is by faith. It is not by, by works. It's not by following the law. It's not by anything. It is by faith for this reason in order that it may be in accordance with grace. We talk about that over and over. By faith, by faith, by grace, by grace. It's so important. Why? He says, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants. Guys, if it's any other way except by grace through faith, it's not guaranteed. If it's partially the work of Jesus on the cross and partially up to you or me, guys, we have no guarantee. That's why if you talk to people outside of born-again believers, if you talk to people of other religious groups and you say, are you going to heaven? They might say, well, I hope so. Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Well, not really. They can't know because they don't know if, and how, the, how the scales are going to tip at that final time. But God, the true and living God, tells us we have a guarantee. We can know. We can have this assurance so that the promise will be guaranteed, note, to all the descendants, not only those who are of the law, the Jews, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. By faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. That is why this, it is, this is, it's so important. God's, the promises that we have are based on him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Aren't you so glad that it doesn't say that whoever believes in him and? There's no and after that. If there was an and after that, that you and I needed to somehow pick up the ball at this particular point and carry it across the goal line, guys, we would have no guarantee. But Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is, note, imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. For you, born-again believer, reserved in heaven for you who are, note, protected by the power of God through the works that you do. I'm glad you're following along. <laughs> through faith. Protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Faith again in the promiser. 
the fact that he made the promise based on his, his works, his deeds, what he did on our behalf. Verse 17, as it is written, a father of many nations, I have made you. We read that verse already in Genesis. I have made you. Past tense, Isaac has not been born yet, but it is such a done deal because God is the one promising. It's in the past tense. Do you know there's a verse in the Bible about you that way? Again, born again believer. We talked of this last week, justified we stand blameless, declared righteous before a holy God. Romans 8.30 says this, And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, note, he also glorified. If you are a born-again believer here today, you are justified, but you will be glorified in heaven one day, standing before him, perfect, holy, righteous, there. But it is such a done deal that God records it in the past tense in Romans 8.30. We're not there yet. Practically, we're not there. But because he said it, because he's the promisor, it's written in past tense. He gives life to the dead. The Bible tells us that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. But he's given us eternal life calls into being things which do not exist, things that aren't as though they, they were, again, glorified. Guys, his word is true when it's spoken, not when we realize it. Now, as we move on here in, in verse 18 and following, I... We, we, we speak of faith again, and we understand e eternal life is not, is not something that we'll get someday somewhere out there. Eternal life for a born-again believer begins the moment you're born again. And this walk of faith begins with that first step of faith of receiving Jesus into your life as, as your Lord and as your Savior. But it's, it, that's the first step of faith. And then we walk by faith from there on out. And we see this as we move forward again, laid out in the life of Abraham in verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Hope against hope. That's, that's hope in a, the supernatural power of God to accomplish something that he promised he will do despite what it looks like in the natural world around us. There's no hope when we look around us at the things that are around us. There's no hope that Abraham and Sarah were gonna have a child here. But the hope against hope is that hope in the supernatural power of God to accomplish what he promises. And we see, again, the, this great faith, walk of faith of Abraham. Probably the pinnacle of that is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 22. When God calls him, this, now Ab Isaac has been born. He's grown, he's grown up a little bit now. And God now calls Abraham and he says, that son of promise that I told you you were going to have that I fulfilled in that promise. I want you to take that son, the one that I told you all of the descendants are gonna come from, that son, I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there to me. 
And it tells us that Abraham went out and followed in, in faith. He went out and he went to Mount Moriah and he t- bound his son and he placed him on the altar even to the point where he took out the knife and was about to plunge it into his son when God stopped him. Walking by faith. There should be a totally different word for faith when, I, when you think about that. Because here's the son of the promise, and he hasn't had any children yet, yet you are calling on me to kill him. What, this goes totally against anything that makes any sense in my mind. But again, we see in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son, It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. Notice, he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. He considered, again, he considered God. He can do anything. Can raise him even from the dead. Guys, there had never been a recorded instance of a resurrection yet. Wasn't like he could point back and say, oh yeah, this happens all the time. But if that's what God's going to do, that's what God's going to do. And if this is what he said, this is what I do. And this is how I follow after what he says. Guys, that that is this, this amazing faith. And notice verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promises, the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. We see this amazing act of faith and we see recorded here that he didn't become weak in faith. He didn't waver in unbelief. He being fully assured, notice it says, therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, my heart can almost sink a little bit. Because it says, because, that word therefore means that, you know, what it's there for, that the the previous causes this, without becoming weak in faith, he didn't waver in unbelief, being fully assured, therefore, it's credited to him as righteousness. Let me just ask, and you don't have to answer this out loud, but does that describe your faith? That you could say, yeah, I'd do that. I don't waver in my faith. I don't, I, don't, I don't ever become weak in my faith. I'm always absolutely fully assured. You don't have to answer out loud, but I will. Doesn't describe me all the time. So what do we, what do, we do with that? If that's what it says that we need in order to credit his righteousness, that doesn't describe my faith, I got to be honest, there's sometimes when God is calling me to do something or I'm facing something and I look at it and I say, the problem, this is way too big. And I'll tell you, the doubts come into my mind. Sometimes I start thinking, I don't know if God planned for this. When he, when he told me to take these steps of faith, when he told me to step out in this, I, I, he, he must have left this off the plan. So I'll fix it. I'll, I'll, I'll step in. I, I know what to do. Anybody else like that ever? Well, you know what? Genesis chapter 12. Remember we talked about that a little bit ago. The promise that, that God said, I'm going to do this for you. Now step out and go. Not knowing where he was going. And it said, and he went. 
Just a handful of verses after that, it says now a famine came to the land. Abraham goes to this land of promise. He starts to settle in. It says famine comes. You know what Abraham did? He didn't fall down and say, pray to God and say, this, 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 you didn't tell me about this, but I'm sure you were fully aware of it, so I'm going to fully trust you in this, and we're just going to wait this thing out, and I'm going to wait on your instruction. It doesn't say that. It says he went to Egypt. He left the promised land, and he went to Egypt. And this great man of faith, as he is walking towards Egypt, it dawns on him. He says, you know what? My wife is really good looking, and when we get there, they're probably going to kill me in order to have her. And so he says to his wife, he says, sweetheart, here's the deal. Just to save my skin, my, this great man of faith, to save me, tell him you're my sister. You ladies comforted by that? <laughs> what about, what about when, when, you, when you read in God's word and you read a promise? Or... Or you feel God's really laying something on your heart. And you know it's, you know it's from the Lord. And you, and you just say, you know what, God? I know this is from you. I know you said this. But um, how am I going to know for sure? I never describe you. How am I going to know for sure? Again, Genesis chapter 15 Remember verse 6, the one that we've been talking about, that then he believed in the Lord, he reckoned it to him as righteousness. That's our verse. Verse 8, it says, he said, that, that is Abraham, he said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Right after it said it's reckoned to him as righteousness, his faith, he says, how am I going to know for sure? Did you ever come to a point in your faith walk You've been walking in something a while. It's been a long time. It's been a difficult time. You've been going through it by faith. You've been believing God, but it doesn't seem to be getting better. It doesn't seem to be changing. And you ever wonder, did God forget? Did God forget what he said about me? Did God forget the promise that he made to me? Did God forget this? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to that verse that says in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> Newsflash, that's not in here. As a matter of fact, probably every page of Scripture screams that God helps those who can't help themselves. But how many times do we step out in that and say, he's forgotten, so I'm going to jump in and I'm going to do it my way with this. And we see in Genesis chapter 16, after the promise made that you're going to have children, these things that come, God, your descendants, all of this, it's not happening. Sarah says, I got an idea it's just, I, I can't have kids. It's obvious this isn't going to work. Why don't you take my handmaid, Hagar, and have a child with her, and we'll call it our own? That sounds like a great idea. Or, perhaps I'm the only one that would be this way, but see something that's in front, and, in front of me, and God's definitely calling me to go in that direction. And I just say, that is impossible. There is no way I could do that. You gotta be kidding me, God. Me? You know what? I'm good with just right where I am. You know, it tells us again, God makes these promises. You're gonna have this great nation. You're gonna have these, this child. It's gonna come forth from you. It tells us Abraham laughed. Sarah laughed. In unbelief, 
Lastly, anybody else ever make the same mistake more than once? You, you, you slip into something, you, you know, you, you, whether it's a lack of faith or even an area where, man, you know I, I shouldn't be doing this or I should be, and I, and I don't. Ever make that same mistake? What kind of faith is that? Well, Genesis chapter 20 tells us that Abraham and Sarah traveling through, and they come across this guy, King Abimelech. And Abraham says, you know what, Sarah? You are really good looking, and if the king knows that we're married, he's probably going to kill me. So I got an idea. Tell him you're my sister. No, he did not. Yes, he did. Again. Twice. Why am I, why am I saying all of this? Why am, I, why am I bringing all of this? Guys, this is all recorded for us in Genesis from chapter 12 through chapter 20. Go read it. But we just looked in Romans chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 11. And what did it say? By faith, by faith, by faith. It's not in there. Do you know what that means? What happens in Genesis stays in Genesis. There's no record of it in Romans. There's no record of it in Hebrews. We were talking about this before first service. When we, when we reflect and we think about the nature of God, you know that God never remembers anything because nothing ever leaves his mind. It's always right before him, everything always before him. He doesn't have to recall anything. It's always right there except as a born-again believer, your sin. No record of it. No record of it in heaven. It's been, it's been removed from your account. Now, guys, this is not a pass to go ahead and, and go ahead and sin. There's consequences for sin. There's devastating consequences for sin. We read through these, these, these records, that first one, when they went to Egypt and said, tell them you're my sister, and when they came out of Egypt, it says they came out with great possessions, slaves, all of these others. One of those slaves, Hagar, who will later be involved in another sin, when, when the one we talked about was, here, have a, have a child with her. That child, Ishmael, his descendants, still the enemies of the Jews to this day. Long-lasting ramifications. But the point I want to make is, guys, no matter if you are a born-again believer here today, walking by faith, it is a walk of faith. And the faith that we have, though it is not perfect, if it is in him, that is, that's, that's what matters. We're going to continue. We're going to grow in our faith. We are going to, we're going to, as we move forward in this and, and we learn and we, it, that we, we become more like him, our faith becomes stronger, but we can't ever confuse position with condition because positionally, again, we are righteous, declared righteous, justified. Jesus hung on the cross. He said, it is finished, paid in full. That is our position, positionally righteous, but it's not our condition 
as we continue to move through this walk of faith. He said, it is finished, not I am finished. The great part about it, though, is he said, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So this is a process of perfecting as we become more and more like him. We have these promises because of the promisor and us placing our faith in him. Jesus, when he met the the man with the demon-possessed child, and he said, said, if you can, Jesus said, do you believe that I can? And he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Basically, he's saying, "I I got a faith, but it's a little faith. Jesus didn't say, come back later when your faith is stronger. He healed him. Because though it was a little faith, it was a faith in him. We speak again, the faith the size of a mustard seed is worthless unless it is a faith in Jesus, the one who can move mountains. And again, isn't it great that this wasn't just for Abraham, as it tells us in verse 23. Now, not not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but... For our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Delivered over because all of us are sinners, all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Delivered over for our sin, for our transgressions, raised for our justification, to declare us righteous before a holy God. I think these are some great verses, again, to to just contemplate as we prepare our hearts for communion and to celebrate that together this morning. And you might be sitting here now and, and thinking, well, that was quite a little jump and walk through faith and I find myself very falling very short in a lot of those areas and maybe there's something going on in your life that again you know isn't pleasing the Lord and you are you are a believer here today but there's things in your life that need to be dealt with you might be thinking you know what I'm not I'm not worthy to take communion because that's what communion is all about when we celebrate communion we remember what Jesus did on our behalf on the cross of at Calvary And that is the substance of the shadow of all of the previous sacrifices that were made. The sacrificial system that was in place for the Jewish people. Going all the way back to when it was instituted. It was always a shadow. Jesus on the cross at Calvary was the fulfillment, the substance. And when a worshiper would bring a lamb to be sacrificed, the worshiper was never examined. Because everybody knew the worshiper was guilty. That's why they were bringing the lamb. It was the lamb that was inspected. It needed to be spotless. It needed to be without blemish. Again, pointing to Jesus on the cross, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Taking our place. But then as it tells us, rose again, raised again for our justification. It proves, the resurrection proves that his sacrifice 
was accepted. And so we can come today and we can, we can celebrate this. And if you are in that position today, that is, that, that's a great position to stand in now and say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm convicted of this. I simply give this to you. God, forgive me if there's an area of sin. Lord, strengthen my faith where it might be weak. We prepare our hearts to celebrate communion together. Now, if you're here today and you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus, you've never trusted in him, you've never taken that initial step of faith, I want to invite you right now to do just that. Don't put this off. Don't think, well, I'll think about it. I'll, I'll come address this another time. You don't know if you have any more time. It's simply a matter, again, of taking that step of faith and trusting in him and him alone, repenting, turning from your sin, turning to him, receiving him as your Lord and Savior. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the beauty of your perfect plan, knowing that there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. You sent your only son to suffer, to die in our place, to pay our sin debt. That whoever believes would not perish, would not face your wrath forever, but would have everlasting life here today and you've never taken that step of faith and you want to know your sins are forgiven, you want to know that you have that gift of eternal life, you simply go before God in your heart right now and confess to him, God, I am a sinner. I have sinned against you and I can't fix it. I've tried. I've tried to tried to please you and offset bad with good, but I realized that I, have, I need a savior. And Jesus, I believe you died to save me. So right now I ask you to come into my life, come into my heart, wash away my sin. I give you control of my life going forward from here, that I would walk in faith following after you from this moment on. Lord Jesus, that's the desire of all of us as those redeemed by your blood that we would walk by faith. We thank you for your grace that you have extended to us to save us. We thank you, Lord, that it is that same grace that continues to sanctify us and grow us and change us more and more in your image. Lord Jesus, we worship you again together now in Jesus' name. Amen.